better than this guys being dudes here on the draft dudes podcast presented by locked on it's joe marino and kyle Krabs from the draft network and we are your hosts here on this monday edition of the show kyle the college football regular season is behind us the quarter pole of the nfl season is here welcome now you said it was the monday edition of the show but i would like to make an amendment to that it is victory monday on the Draft Dudes podcast. Both our teams won this week, Joe. I know. It felt like I had Victory Friday, though, you know? Well, you get three days of, you get three consecutive victory <laughs> days. Uh, it's been beautiful. What do you do? Like, what was yesterday like for you? I think oh, we've talked about this before, but it's like when your team doesn't play, like, in that one o'clock slot that 90% of our teams is like, general non-competitors in most seasons in the NFL. <laughs> what is that experience? What was that like for you yesterday to sit back and just kind of let the week 13 schedule come to you? Absolutely beautiful. You know, I, I um, had a stress-free morning, you know, mm-hmm. enjoying breakfast mm-hmm. and doing some things around the house, getting a little work done. Just pop on the games at one o'clock, man. You just watch it without stress. Sitting there watching the Ravens and 49ers, Panthers and Redskins, you know, with the home team, the wife. She you, watch, you watch anybody else? Uh, yeah, and I also had the Dolphins and the Eagles on. Yeah, had the, had the, I never do it, right? I had like the Sunday ticket app going. I had three games on there. Uh, then I watched uh, 4 o'clock focused. I was just bouncing around at the 4 o'clock hour. Then I watched the Patriots lose. I'll tell you, man, it was a good Sunday. Yeah, that sounds like you had a nice little day for yourself. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Now, before before we get into, there's a lot to get into today. I do want to have one moment. You need to let me have this one moment. Okay. Has anyone checked on Ben Solak? Uh, I mean, i've I've seen I've seen typing come from accounts that have his profile. Okay, on so yeah. somebody somebody is still running his account. That's guy. I don't know after the loss <laughs> yesterday. But Joe. The Dolphins are 2-0 and in their last two games in December at home wearing the throwback uniforms. Can we just make these things permanent and official now? You should. The whole thing. The orange end zones are beautiful. The, yeah. the uniforms are beautiful. The logo is beautiful. I, I, don't, I don't know what's hard here. We had, we had the Miami Miracle last year against the Patriots for a win, and this year we had Mountaineer Shot. Which is was the name of the trick play with uh, the punter to kicker yeah. touchdown pass. So two consecutive years at home, aqua throwbacks, badass plays, some of the most memorable plays, individual plays in victories that I can remember as a long time of a fan of this team. But Kyle, they're ruining the season. The, they the draft order. What do we do? Uh, it's, it's almost as if the Bengals and the Redskins won yesterday, too. And and, uh, and somebody else. Uh, who was it? Um, won the Giants. Oh, the Dolphins. The Dolphins. The Dolphins won. Yeah. So it's three oh, big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
you said you had you wanted to talk about something in the pre-show. What did you, what did you want to bring to the table here? No, I think I was just telling you that we have a lot between college football, the coaches that have been fired in college football, the playoff picture in both sides. I mean, it's it's pretty lit in the football world right now. Okay, so do any of the coaching firings surprise you? So we've got uh, Chad Morris at Arkansas, Steve Adazio, Boston College, Willie Taggart, Florida State, Barry Odom, Missouri, Bob Davey, New Mexico, Matt Luke, Ole Miss, Chris Ash Ruckers, Charlie Strong, South uh, Florida, Tony Sanchez, UNLV, and Frank Wilson, UTSA. Um, I guess I didn't exactly expect Adazio to get fired. I, I get it. He's, I mean, he peaks at seven wins, right? That's kind of what we've learned from his Boston college teams. And before him, I mean, they, they got to nine or 10 wins on occasion, um, kind of a little bit below their standard, but, um, I never got the sense that he was completely, completely on the hot seat. So I guess that would be the most surprising, but I think they're all deserving, uh, to, to be let go. I think the biggest surprise for me, uh, was that some of these guys lasted as long as they did. <laughs> Who's the one that shines in that? I mean, we, I mean, because uh, Morris and Taggart were like just the two seasons in. Yeah. Um, run through the list real quick for me. Uh, Chad Morris, Steve Adazio, Willie Taggart, Barry Odom, Bob Davey, Matt Luke, Chris Ash, Charles. Oh, it's Strong. Matt Luke. Matt Luke was the one that, that surprised me that he stuck around as long as he did. You think about some of the talent that they've had and and what they've done in recent years and just a, a, as vanilla of a guy as you could possibly identify, right? Like I can't ever imagine Matt Luke coming over to my house. We've talked about this yeah. on the show before too. Yeah. Sit, sit down and have family with my dinner to try and tell me why I should go to Ole Miss and him <laughs> walking out the front door and be like, man, I can't wait to play for that guy. They go six and six, five and seven, four and eight in three seasons under Matt Luke, sixth place in the sec West every single year, 15 and mm. 21 overall six and 18 in the conference, no more Ooh. than three conference wins in any season. That was his first. Uh, only two this year, one last year. Not great. Yeah, so uh, maybe he'll go back and hang out with uh, uh, Coach Cutcliffe and Duke. And uh, uh, nah, Cut- <laughs> Cutcliffe's coming to, wa- uh, to New York. Remember? Yeah, you still got my head spinning on that. And I was listening. To Sh- <laughs> I was listening to Shermer's uh, press conference after the loss to Green Bay yesterday. And man, that guy just—he's just—I um, can't. I can't. He's the Matt Luke of NFL head coaches. Okay. Okay. So that that's a box checked. I feel good about that one. Now, there'll be more coming. There, there's. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some more. Did you see the thing with USC? When you say USC, I I think South Carolina. Are you thinking Southern no, Cal? The real the real USC. Nobody calls you if unless you live in the Carolinas. Nobody right. calls the. the I live in the Carolinas. <laughs> okay, so but you're not born in the what Carolinas. Do you, you don't have that crutch. <laughs> what do you call them? You call them just South, South Carolina. Carolina. South right. Carolina. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so the Trojans. South Carolina. Did you see see this report with the Trojans that came out where apparently like goof. the US the USC Maven site um, reported that Helton was out and then. Some other guys came in over the top and said, well, we talked to people at USC and said this is completely – like, is there any question Clay Helton should be fired, though, as far as what the standards are for that program versus the results that they've been getting under Clay Helton? 
Man, first of all, do you ever think you see the day where Sports Illustrated uh, falsely reported the head coach of Southern Cal getting fired? Uh, yeah, that's pretty wild. That's that's a black eye for, for all they've been through. Uh, what is he, 40 and 21? Uh, is Clay Helton so far in his career? He goes 5 and 4, 10 and 3, 11 and 3, 5 and, five and 7, 8 and 4. Um, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think he's been disappointing. Uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of high profile guys that would love to get this gig. And, you know, there's no reason to me why Southern Cal shouldn't be, you know, the crown jewel of the PAC 12 and they're not close right. to that right now. Right. Yeah. They're averaging eight and four effectively is what his record comes out to be every year. Yeah. Uh, and he's well into the cycle now where he's got multiple years of seniors that he recruited. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, to me. I like that's where it really kicks in for me is that he, he, he's getting worse. <laughs> he peaked with other coaches' recruits. How worried do you think we need to be about Texas and Tom Herman? Not not to get fired this year, but like Sam Ellinger came out after the win and said something along the lines of, if you told Texas fans two years ago that we'd be 7-5 and five and a chance to win eight games this year, they'd be happy. I, I think... Like, Brother, I, <laughs> you said you were back last year on January 1st. The firing of Todd Orlando was one of those, he's got to go or you do. Right. So I think, I think he's on the brink this year. I mean, it's... I don't... I, I guess I... I think they need to be playing for the Big 12 championship in 2020 or else it could be could be next man up in te- in Texas. All right. I want to talk a little bit about some of the NFL. Okay. Storylines we have. I'm going to regret doing this because everybody who ever does this always does. All right. But <laughs> What do you think of Tom Brady last night, Joe? Um you know, I went out there and I saw a guy who passed for 300 yards, um, <laughs> three touchdown passes. I, I see what you're doing here, and I don't like it. I'm, it's not going to be me, brother. I'm the I'm the last guy in the world, man. <laughs> it's just not going to be me. What needs to change to get New England back to a point where the offense meets the standard and expectation that we're used to seeing from New England? It's the worst receiving core he's ever had. Which is funny because if you rewind three months ago, it was the best receiving. Well, yeah, it was Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon, and Demarius Thomas, Julian Edelman. And now it's Julian Edelman, Jacoby Byers, Philip Dorsett, Muhammad Sanu, Nikhil Harry. Yeah, Muhammad Sanu on a bum ankle and Kill Harry can't separate. Jacoby Myers is a UDFA who's, uh, to me, he's inconsistent, but he makes some nice plays. And then Edelman's Edelman. But even look at last night. I'm looking at the box score right now. Six receptions on 12 targets. Have you ever seen Brady so inefficient throwing to Edelman? No. Man, I, I'm i still going to be the last guy on the planet. I, I I still get nervous about playing Tom Brady. Of course, but Father Time's got to creep up here. One of the, like, <laughs> let's, let, no bones about it. Father Time's got Phillip Rivers. I thought he played 
his best game I've seen him play in a while yesterday. Oh, but it's not saying on. much. Yeah. It's not saying much. At least getting the ball out of his hands. I think that was the that was the best thing I saw. Is I thought Philip Rivers more than any game I've seen recently was deliberate about getting that ball out of his hands because when he tries to throw uh, with you know having to find a quick platform and rushing his delivery, oh Jesus, man, it's bad. Uh, but he well, got it out quick. And that was Her. the weird thing about Tom is, is Tom was holding the ball consistently for like three and a quarter seconds last night. I felt that way about separate. Matt Ryan on, on Thursday too. I thought I was like, yes. Oh my God, he's so slow, slow getting into his drops. And like, it's, it puts so much stress on the line, man. Yep. It's easy for the secondary, you know, because the routes are developing and you know, you can really, you know, he's not going to be able to just find those quick platforms and, you know, scan left and right and really reset his feet if he needs to. It's just a pure tip off to where the ball's going, man. I just, it's a different NFL, man, you know? <laughs> and I think, I think that's we just, the biggest thing. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. And you see the guys that have success. And I think Josh Allen's a great case study in this, right? For Buffalo. What mobility Josh has matters. Been able, yeah. Been able to do from a mobility perspective, but then also uh, the structure around him that promotes a lot of the quick game stuff. And then the deep pass has kind of become your, that's when you make things happen. Cause Josh hasn't been particularly good throwing deep inside the pocket, but mm-hmm. when he gets off his script and then looks to push the ball, whether that's to the boundary and in the intermediates or back over the middle of the field, he loves to hit Cole Beasley, right? He flushes the pocket. He'll throw kind of back into the middle and, and nail Cole Beasley for, and they'll tear you up across the middle. And that's where they get a lot of their gouging pass plays. Um, I think it bodes really well for very different style player, but just kind of the style of the NFL and and the style of this offense uh, that we see LSU run. I think it bodes very well for Joe Burrow. And you had made the point when we were down in Tuscaloosa talking about it's a testament to Joe Burrow's football intelligence that LSU uses the full field of play in full field reads. And that's a great sign for what he can bring to the NFL at the next level because he's able to handle and process all of that information. It makes it so easy to find those soft spaces and get the ball out of your hand quickly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I think kind of going back to Josh Allen, um, obviously best game of his career against Dallas and everyone got a chance to see it on Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, he's improved a lot, right? I mean, like, the guy, he's not the quarterback we saw at Wyoming. I mean, no, he's just not. He, and and it, uh, he deserves a ton of credit for the work he's put in to develop and obviously Brian Dable and the Bills coaching staff to create this scenario for Josh to be the best version of himself. But, you know, I, I, I think about, you know, guys like Justin Herbert and Jordan Love and uh, not to draw, you know, one-for-one one comparisons there, but those are guys that are very toolsy that have – they're flawed toolsy quarterbacks, but they're really toolsy. And, you know, I'm anxious to see kind of what opportunities they get and what their coaching staff does with him, with those players to see if, you know, they can develop like Josh has, because I think Herbert and Love are better college quarterbacks than, jo- by, than Josh Allen by a long, right. long shot. I mean, it's not close, right. but what what's the difference? I mean, we know Josh is really, he's works his ass off and he cares a ton and, uh, he's really has those intangibles. Well, all right, that's good. Habits plus talent is a good thing, but 
you know, how does that apply to Sunday football? And I'm, I, you know, those are going to be interesting guys to follow. Yeah. I think that, that Josh is really kind of a, a trend breaker as far as what you are getting versus what the end result could be. And of course, Josh still needs mm-hmm. an extended sample size beyond year two mm-hmm. to kind of formalize his standing as what would probably go down as the biggest miss of, of my personal scouting career. If Josh goes on to have a very successful, consistent pro career, um, well, that's Kyle. That's the big nar- the the last narrative that I think he has to shake. I mean, in, in terms of, and this kind of goes into to proving sustainable consistency is you know the the next narrative that I'm seeing for people that are don't like Josh Allen is oh well Josh Allen is just having 2018 Trubisky or Bortles 2017 season. Well, you know? it's a it's a real concern, but I, I think you'd be a fool to just dismiss what you're seeing right now. Yeah, and I, but I, I also think I could point to very specific things with both of those players that, you know, would have been major red flags where Josh is just continues to ascend and like keeps answering those questions where like what's what's going to be this magical thing that's going to happen to Josh Allen that prohibits him from at least being as good as he is right now moving well, let forward. Me ask- let me ask you a question because I, I have one scenario in my head that that may cause a wrench in his player development. Okay. What happens if somebody hires Brian Dayball away? You know, it's funny is there's going to be portions of Bills Mafia they're going to be really happy to see that. It's and it's really weird to me. Really? Um, yeah, man. That, that's I, like I, dude. I found out there's a whole subsection of Cowboys Twitter that thinks Xavier Su- Suafilo is better than Connor Williams. I can tell you when uh, he came into the game, he was not better than yeah, Gar- it's, Connor Williams. It's pretty noticeable. <laughs> Jesus, man. Um, yeah, no. I, I mean, I, I love Brian Dable. I, I, I really do. Um, I'd hate to see him go. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's a good test for Josh. Um, cause they, I think they have done a really good job of growing together and learning each other. Um, and I mean, even I think Brian Dable's done a good job, not necessarily just with Josh Allen, but piecing together this whole entire new offense. And you listen to Cole Beasley, uh, on the touchdown pass that he caught against Dallas when he was commenting on that play after the game, he said, he goes, yeah, I, I showed that to Dabes before the season during summer. It was a play that we ran in college and I really liked it. And we worked on it a bit and and we saved it for this game. And, and, you know, I mean, I think that says a lot that Brian Dable is listening to Cole Beasley and, and talking about plays that he likes. And I think Brian Dable's done a really good job of just kind of developing the entire offense around his personnel. I mean, even John Brown, John Brown was just a run straight and throw the ball to him guy. He runs the whole route tree for the bills and is one of the leading receivers in the AFC right now, you know? And so yeah, Dable would be a big, big, big loss and I hope it doesn't happen. All right. I I need to talk about one very big player who I don't think we've mentioned at all in recent weeks on this show. And we would be remiss to not talk about what's going on in Nashville with Derrick Henry. Have you seen the numbers for Derrick Henry? (laughs) Yeah, it seems like about this time every year, he's just can't be stopped, right? Brother. His last 16 games, he has 1,700 rushing yards and 20 touchdowns. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? He is phenomenal right now. 
And the Tennessee Titans have won three in a row. They're seven and five. I mean, they're, I think they're five and one with Tannehill as the starter. Yeah. They're seven. So they're tied with the Steelers for the sixth seed. And they're a game behind the Texans. And they have two games head to head against the Texans left on the schedule. Yeah. Harold Landry, nine sacks on the year. I mean, it's all in front of you, Tennessee. This is a team that I believed in going into the year. And, I didn't think Ryan Tannehill was going to be the difference maker, um, but well, I think here we are. <laughs> well, the, I think the important takeaway there is I believed in the remainder of team here. I like their defensive personnel. I like their multiple philosophies that they have on defense. I thought they did a good job of building the infrastructure around the quarterback, specifically Mariota, to give him you know a no excuse year. You know, I love the makeup of the receiving core, offensive line, running mm-hmm. back situations. Good. I mean, Delaney Walker back at tight end. I love this. I like this roster. I think it was one of the most underrated rosters out there. And then to see it really lean on Derrick Henry and Tannehill to really kind of come into his own, and maybe maybe they didn't create that no excuse. Uh, scenario for Mariota because Mariota was his own worst enemy, but it certainly allowed Tannehill to thrive. Yeah, I mean, A.J. Browns had yeah. a very good rookie season. Um, but I, I think this is a team that I, I don't want to say I think they can push for the AFC South because Houston just had a, a statement win against the New England Patriots, right? Bipolar team Houston is, but yeah, but I think this I think this Tennessee team is a team that fits the stereotypical mold of a team that can win in January. Right? They play tough defense. They run the football. They're able to play clock control. They can kill it when they need to. When they got a lead late in the game, and they were they were down with twenty minutes left. They were down seventeen to ten. Against yeah, the, the Colts, blocked field goal was the was a big game changer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like late in the year, I don't know what it is. I I can't explain it. Late in in the season, in the NFL season, all of a sudden teams start blocking punts and kicks. I think you got enough tape. Well, I think some of that is you you really kind of shelve a lot of those things, right? Until you have a, a needed scenario to run it. It's just weird, man. I, I mean, I get it. Yeah, it makes sense. More tape, and you save your best, your best stuff. But it's like you take for granted that that stuff happens in the NFL, <laughs> and then it does late in the year every year. But Tennessee, so man, I, I like it. Seven and five, and and the, hey, the Colts are six and six. They're kind of on the outside looking in. Well, Colts have lost two in a row, race. and uh, the the Colts backbreaker was that loss to Miami at home. This yeah. is a team now in Indianapolis. You have a hard time seeing a road to the the postseason right now with Indianapolis at six. Well, six. if they if they won yesterday, I thought they had a chance, but of course, but but now you you you've lost the grace of the tiebreaker against Houston because you couldn't beat Houston in the head to head, and now you've lost to Tennessee. I don't. I don't. I and the Raider look the Raiders. I think. Congratulations, you flirted with a decent season. They just don't have enough talent. You know, I, I think they've made strides building that roster, but defensively, Kyle, I mean, this 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 back seven on defense might be like the worst in the football, personnel wise. Well, and I believe Tennessee plays the Raiders next week. Yeah, yeah. So that'll get a chance to move them potentially with a win to eight and five. 
So the the big takeaway here to me is that this sixth seed in the AFC playoffs is a Steelers Titans conversation, and it's hard for I mean the Steelers I love what they have in the trenches, man, but like we're talking about like Duck Hodgins and like their third yeah, running back and like just I bad don't receivers, get it, man. I don't get how this team is seven and five defense and Mike Tomlin being a fiery leader, I guess, man. Like, and C- Cleveland just come, like didn't show up. He didn't show up. And like, they came in with those shirts on and everything. Just, they're just sloppy, man. And, and every once in a while they put it together and they, they have a good game and you see the flashes, but like, they got Freddie's got to be one and done, man. I'm dead serious. He's crap. I don't know if he will be, but you're right. He should be. Well, then guess what? You're going to go be seven be. and nine next year and eight and eight, and you're going to underachieve because that man's going to be in the way. Like, go get Mike McCarthy or whatever. Like, yeah. What, what are we doing here? And and that's the thing. Like, we're getting ready to have difficult conversations about coaches. And to me, my question is, all right, well, who are you bringing in? You're going to go fire Ron Rivera? Okay, cool. Who are you bringing in? Well, to me, the path is clear in Cleveland. It's Mike, Mike McCarthy. McCarthy. Right. It's the guy you should probably should have hired last year. <laughs> right. So, like, that's that's where those conversations get easy for me. But, you know, the rest of the league is going to be really interesting yeah. because I'm not in love with a lot of the, the guys they're talking about as, you know, replacements. We kind of saw this coming with Carolina, though, at the beginning of the year. Yeah, they're five and seven. And I remember we did the schedule prediction like Mm -hmm. we went through all the teams and this was a team just like last year. I remember we got to a certain point where like, wow, Carolina's like off to a pretty good start. And and we've had our fair share of hits and misses as far as the schedule predictions. Like we we whiffed hard on San Francisco. Uh, I think we had Baltimore at 10 wins. We definitely didn't have them as as the one seed right now at 10 and two on an eight game win streak uh, with hard on the Eagles with hard on the chargers, but the Panthers were a team that, that was very similar to what we had last year. And I remember it because I made the statements like, wow, we just gave the Panthers the exact same treatment that they had last year where they yeah. got to the halfway point and they're in really good shape. And then the wheels just fall off the bus. They're on a four game losing streak, Joe. Yeah, and I mean they've been super banged up. I mean they're on IR right now. Cam Newton, uh, Kwan Short, star defensive tackle. Uh, Greg Van Roten, who's their starting left guard. Don Terry Poe, their starting defensive tackle. I mean I think this team is has been injured. I mean Brian Burns has dealt with this wrist thing for several weeks now. He's not been the player we saw earlier in the year. I mean Greg Little, they want him to be a starter for this offensive line. He can't stay healthy. I mean you've got Dennis Daly starting at left tackle. I mean, he's got problems here. Kyle Allen, I mean, he's just not hes not proven to be able to sustain the performances we saw earlier in the year, and he's a problem. And and so I, I think this team lacks depth, uh, and it's our, and the depth has been stressed. And right now I think we're learning that there's a big drop-off from Cam Newton to Kyle Allen at quarterback. And uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Dave Tepper chal- uh, handles all this because, you know, I can see him – understanding the stuff we just talked about and realizing that there's been success with Ron Rivera and hopefully Cam can be healthy next year. But I can also see him saying, nope, it's time for us to really kick the tires here and and move on in a new direction and rebuild this roster. And, um, you know, right now, I think the final few games here will decide that, but it, it could get real, a big shakeup here in Carolina. All right. What else you got from this weekend? 
we can go anywhere here. Um, can, what, what, can we bring this back to the Patriots? Yeah, sure. Uh, here's here's the remaining four games. They they um, they host Kansas, Kansas City. City. They play yep. at Cincinnati. They host Buffalo, and then they host the Dolphins. What do you? What are they three and one there? I was gonna say they're low key gonna be playing for the division. They're gonna have something to play for week sixteen against Buffalo, huh? Well, the, here's the challenge: is um, right now the Bills are one game back, so let's play under the assumption that the Bills beat New England. Okay, that would give them a tied record without assuming that the Bills somehow have a better record than New England over those four games. When it's the the, the tiebreaker is going to come down to record against common opponents, and the Patriots beat the Browns and Eagles, and the Bills did not. So even if the Bills were to beat the Ravens, the Patriots are still going to have a better record against common opponents. Yeah. So it, it just gets it gets really difficult. The Bills are going to have to have an outright better record than New England, and that's that's going to require Buffalo to beat the Ravens on Sunday. They're going to have to beat Pittsburgh. They're going to have to beat New England, and they're going to have to beat the Jets. I don't know. I, I don't see that happening, but – you know, the bills had their chance. They, they, they had their chance to beat new England and they, they crapped it away. So, um, and then now they have to beat Baltimore. Yeah. New England's probably, probably three and one. They're going to beat Miami. They're going to beat Cincinnati. And they'll win one and lose one against the chiefs and bills. And I mean, they've not been an asshole here, but they historically own the pay, own the bills. So oh, I would be, yes. I, you know what I, I mean? fully expect to lose the game. I always do. I have for the last 20 years. And they've got the Chiefs at home. Well, the, I guess the hope, if you wanted to be an optimistic Bills fan, is that they go two and two, they beat the Bengals and Dolphins, and they lose to the Bills and Chiefs, and somehow the Bills run the table? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't see it. I don't see yeah, it. That, that, that is a steep assignment. With the Ravens and, and at New England, two games you have to win, including at Pittsburgh, which is now a Sunday night game. So Baltimore, if we're looking and trying to forecast here for the, the one seed, Baltimore is in control of their own destiny because they're 10-2 and two and they own the head-to-head tiebreaker with the Patriots. Yeah. Their remaining schedule is what? Uh, let me find out. The Baltimore Ravens. They're- I know they have Cleveland. I think I they it. have Pittsburgh. I think they have Buffalo. Yeah, they have at Buffalo this week. Then they play Thursday night against the Jets at Cleveland hosting Pittsburgh. Mm. I mean, they're just going to win like 12 games in a row to end the season? or <laughs> right. That's what I'm sitting here doing the math. I'm like, they, I mean, they, they legit could, but... <sighs> it's tough to do it, right? Yeah, but, I mean, they, they, they're probably... You can't assume either one of these teams is going to go four and zero, not based on the way New England played last night, and not based on just law of averages from Baltimore. Like, surely they're going to have to get to a point where they have an off game, right? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't think they played their best against San Francisco, but San Francisco is a good opponent, and it was rainy conditions, mm-hmm. a bit of a neutralizer there. But I mean, they were on a run there where they were just rolling everybody since that tight win. Over, you know, I guess Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, it's been multiple score wins over like good teams, Seattle, New England, Houston, the Rams, you know. Brother, I don't think they punted for three games. 
Yeah, part of that's because they just don't punt, and part of it's because the, their offense is really dynamic. I'm trying to imagine what that must be like. As a team, as a fan of a team that consistently punts <laughs> seven to eight times a game, I'm wondering what it's like to not see your punter for three games. Did you see the graphic that came out? Um, it's about uh, fourth down decision-making after today's games, uh, which was obviously yesterday. And this comes down to uh, fourth down aggressiveness, situations recommended by NYT, Don't oh, the New York Times, win probability greater than 20%, excluding the final minute of each half. So which teams are the most aggressive on on fourth down? Ravens are far and away yeah. the highest. Number two is Buffalo. Number three is Texans. Number four is the Colts. Number five, Miami Dolphins. So congratulations. Yeah, Miami doesn't you're, have you're anything part of to a, play for. Well, but still, don't, I think that's good, though. Like, this is a good sign for your coaching staff. Oh, and I the, agree. How, how, their mentality. The bottom of this, Redskins, Seattle, Detroit, Denver, the Rams. Those are the teams at the bottom. You want to be on the higher end of this. That surprises me that that Detroit's down there. Really? Because Daryl Bevel's are OC, brother. I understand, but but you've got a Belichick disciple. You'd think there'd be some kind of grasp on the game theories at play here. Well, the team right in front of Detroit is New England. <laughs> They're both in the bottom six. Well, <laughs> I guess New England doesn't have to be, right? Well, they're 10 and 2. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, there's no correlation between win loss record and where you are on this graph. But right. I per- just personally want to see my team be aggressive and play to win games. You know, whether so that was, that was going for it on fourth downs outside of uh, the final two minutes of the game. Yeah, with your win probability greater than 20%. Okay. I'll send this to you. I'm sure you'll be interested yeah, in that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Is it a full article or just a graphic? It's just a graphic, which is better because I don't really need the analysis. <laughs> you know? Just, uh, give me the picture book version. I don't need right. the book. I'll draw my own conclusions. That's what I like. I mean, that's why we're, we do what we do. Just give me, like, information, and I'll tell you what I think about it. I don't – that that sounded bad. I, I enjoy some people's analysis. Do you have anything else – from um, yesterday or Saturday? No, nah, I mean, we, we talked playoff races. We talked coach. I mean, real, real quick. Well, you know, let's save, let's save it for Wednesday. The rest of this week, we got we to talk conference championship games. We got to talk mm-hmm. about the four seed in the playoffs, and we'll get into yep. that Wednesday, Thursday. That was the only other thing I had, so that's perfect that we're on the same page here. We're going to let that hang. Come back later this week. Tomorrow's takes on takes. So if you have hot takes, send it to at the Joe Marino or at grinding the tape. We are recording early tomorrow morning. So make sure you get them in today if you yeah. wanted to make the cut for tomorrow's show. Yeah. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino. Thanks as always for listening to the Draft Dudes podcast.